Well, hello, everyone. This is JB with NBW Ministries, as always, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my little studio tucked away here somewhere beneath the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us for a new week. It's Monday, October the 23rd, 2023, and all week this week, I'm going to be uh, focusing on Israel and what's going on over there in uh, in such a pivotal time uh, in our world geopolitically as well as, of course, prophetically. And so I am so blessed to have a number of guests all week long that are really experts on the biblical prophecy and particularly ex experts with a lot of insight on Israel. So we're going to kick it off today with uh, just one of my favorite uh, all-time guys, one of the most gracious guys you'll ever meet, a guy who needs no in introduction here to our audience, I'm sure, and that's Tom Hughes with Hope for Our Times. I'll bring him on here in just a moment. We've also got Randall Price uh, coming on. I've known Randall for, oh, 25 years or, or more now. Uh, he'll be on Tuesday. On Thursday, we've got Bill Salas returning to the program. Uh, he's going to talk about Israel's enemies. And then on Friday, we've got John Haller, uh, again, these guys are ones that you know. They, they've all got a much larger following even than NBW does, but I'm so grateful to have them on to kind of pick their brains and, and get their insight on what's happening in uh, Israel. In addition to those uh, guests, we've all, always got our regular Wednesday World Events Update with my good friend Randy. And then as promised, we're going to have a special Saturday podcast this week with uh, both Shane, our resident technologist, and Randy our geopolitical expert, together on the same program. Two of my dearest friends, of course, Randy's been on the program for over two years every week. Shane's been on now coming up on six or eight months, uh, about weekly. Uh, but uh, I love these guys to death. And we're going to talk about technology as it relates to warfare. And I think I can't think of you know any guys better to really reflect on that and give us their insights on that. But uh, today we're going to talk about why Israel matters. And before I bring uh, my good friend Tom on, let me... Uh, I mentioned just a couple of things uh, from the Word of God to kind of set the tone for what we're talking about. You know, the great Vance Havner once said, uh, and he he was such a wordsmith, but he once said, quote, we sing in the sweet by and by, but we're living in the nasty now and now. And that is certainly uh, the case uh, these days as we see prophecy being fulfilled right before our very eyes. And, you know, Jeremiah comes to my mind this morning as I was starting the week, uh, just kind of reflecting on all that's going on, reading from Proverbs, and then you know how that, that goes, your mind starts wandering and you start connecting one passage with another. And I wound up in, in Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is a, a perfect prophet to kind of reflect on as we as we bring Tom on and talk about uh, you know why Israel matters. Uh, Jeremiah began his prophetic ministry in 627 BC. He ministered for about 40 years, and he probably encountered more opposition from more enemies than any other prophet. He recorded the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, his name, interestingly enough, although there's some uh, speculation here as there's a couple of different options, but it either means Yahweh establishes or Yahweh exalts, or it could mean Yahweh tears down. Either one would be a fitting meaning for the name of Jeremiah the prophet, because he talks about God's guaranteed unconditional covenant for future Israel, even though they were facing uh, really unspeakable uh, things in, in his day as they were being carried off into exile and the temple was being destroyed. And of course, it also speaks to his uh, promise to uh, establish them in the land someday. Uh, but the book of Jeremiah is uh, is really unique. People call him the weeping prophet. You know, he he gives us more 
personal feelings, personal information than any other uh, prophet. He, he's, he's known for his laments or those, those kind of personal insights that he gives in certain uh, sections. Uh, one of the best books out there on the history of Israel, one of the most famous that has stood the test of time, is John Bright's A History of Israel. And he had this to say about Jeremiah, no braver or more tragic figure ever trod the stage of Israel's history than the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was hated, jeered at, ostracized, continually harassed, and more than once almost killed. And so if we look at Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah is reflecting on the fact that God has a future for national Israel. And listen to what we read in Jeremiah 31, verse 35. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances, talking about the sun and the stars and the moon, if those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if heaven can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. In other words, Jeremiah is poetically there under the inspiration of the Spirit, reflecting on the unconditional nature of God's future for national Israel. When you look up in the day, and you see the sun shining bright like it did here in Colorado yesterday, beautiful, rare blue sky day uh, with uh, no geoengineering, normal clouds, bright sunny day, gorgeous day, low 70s here in the mountains. Uh, and you see that sun in the day, or you see the, the moon or the stars at night, that ought to always remind you that God is not through with Israel, and he has a future for national Israel. Jesus uh, put it this way in Matthew 23, uh, the very uh, same day that he was uh, uh, going to tell the disciples on the Mount of Olives all about his return and the circumstances surrounding what it would be like on earth when he returns. And he says to the first century Jewish leaders who had rejected him, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, quoting that Messianic Psalm 118 there. In other words, Jesus does not say, you shall see me no more, period, end of story. You rejected me, so I'm done with you. He, in fact, says, no, there's going to come a day when Israel, in belief, will cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Not just a, a splattering or a remnant, but the, the entire nation, the, the, the leaders of Israel will finally believe in Jesus and cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they will be regathered into their land in perfect peace and justice. And what a glorious day that will be. So, Tom, uh, man, what an honor to have you on the program today. I know it doesn't seem very glorious over there in the Holy Land today, but we have this hope, do we not, that Christ is coming back someday? Amen. We do, JB. And I want to, first of all, thank you for having me on here. This is great. You know, just uh, I, I feel super blessed to be here with you. And 
you quoted one of my favorites, Vance Havner. Nobody even knows who he was. And uh, you <laughs> quoted him. I think, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> hey, man. Well, we've, we, uh, you know, great. We'll, we'll like to pat ourselves on the back and say great minds think alike. How about that? But uh, I'll, I'll uh, take that. <laughs> he was one of the good ones, boy. Uh, so uh, we're calling this Why Israel Matters. And uh, if you don't mind, kind of kick us off here with just some of your thoughts on you know, why all the world's attention is, is once again focused on this little piece of real estate uh, over there in the Middle East. Why, why does Israel matter? Yeah, well, you'll probably have to stop me, JB, because I could go like three hours on this. Amen. So I, I did a series probably 2011, 2012. It was titled just that, Why Israel Matters. And it was several different messages I did. But just to, to put it in a nutshell, as much as possible, then ask me any questions you want. Um, you have to go back to the beginning of the nation of Israel when God called out Abram. And he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And, uh, you know, when we look at it from human terms, it doesn't make any sense. Abram has two kids. One of them is basically an illegitimate kid, for lack of other terms. The other is is uh, Isaac. And he was an old man. His wife was old and uh, Sarah. But nevertheless, he has two children. And I, um, Isaac was the child of promise. So we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And through Isaac, through the, the lineage, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, God would make this nation a great nation. Jacob, we know his name was changed to Israel by God. We have the 12 tribes of Jacob, also known as the 12 tribes of Israel. But when you read Genesis chapter 12, it's very clear that it is an everlasting covenant. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 13, you have the conversation that Abraham has with Lot, or Abram still, has with Lot, and Lot says, hey, we got to separate Abram. Our herds are too many, our flocks are too many, our servants are too many. They're fighting against each other. Where do you where do you want to go? And Abram says, hey, Lot, you choose. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go up, I'll go down. You go north, I'll go south. So Lot chose uh, the, the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, which at the time would have been beautiful. And we know that from the context, Lot chose the most beautiful land. Abram's looking, what do I have left? And God, actually, when you read the context, you can tell God had to get in and cheer Abram up. <laughs> hey, Lot may have gotten that land, but don't worry about it. I'm going to give you all the land. Look where you see, wherever you look, uh, Abram, I'm giving you this land. And then as you follow from Genesis chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and you see the promise. I think it's in chapter 15 of Genesis where, where, where God, he ratifies the covenant because Abram is still wondering, okay, I still don't get it. Where's my heir going to come from? I'm an old man. It ain't going to happen. You promised to make me a great nation. It's not going to happen. So Abram, and, and I think this is really the key to understand what's going on today and why this matters. In chapter 15, God says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take an animal. Uh, you, you're going to take a turtle dove. You're going to take this animal and that animal. You're going to split them down the middle. You're going to lay one side on uh, this side and another side on this side. And, and uh, God causes a deep sleep to fall over him, over Abram. So the deep sleep fall, fall, uh, falls over Abram. He goes into a place where he has this trance, as the Bible calls it. Uh, we would even, you could tell he's experiencing a, a, a nightmare. And then there's this smoking oven that comes down and walks through the pieces of the animal, the split animal, one on this side and one on the other. 
but God caused a deep sleep to fall over Abram. God went through, he ratified the covenant. And this is remarkable because what God was saying in that culture was, hey, if I don't keep up my end of the bargain, then whatever was done to these animals is done to me. The, the person making the agreement or the people making the agreement, they would be split in two. Well, God was the only one that was awake. If God had Abraham asleep, it would have been a whole different ballgame. Mm. But God was making sure it was a one-sided covenant because he knew there is not a human being alive, even though he chose Abraham for that covenant, not a human being alive, Jew or Gentile, would be able to keep up their part of the covenant. So it caused Abraham to go to sleep because God's name was on the covenant. We, we've got to remember that. Also, yeah. when it comes to the Jewish nation, there was no such thing as a Jewish nation. Everybody was of the nations or of the Gentiles until God called out Abram and made the Jewish people at that place when he makes the covenant with Abram. And then later on, we or we also see where he is a circumcised and so forth. He's making a people is what he was doing. And it was his name on the covenant, not whether or not the Jews were going to be better than everybody else or be more righteous. There were certain things they were supposed to do that they failed at, just like there are certain things the Christian is supposed to do with the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. And most have failed at that too. Yeah. So um, when we look at it, we under, we've got to have that foundation to be able to understand why we are where we are and where this is going to. Absolutely. It all goes back to that unconditional covenant with Abraham, and that's the key. And you're right, the parallels with our uh, salvation in Christ are uncanny. You know, the Bible talks about the seed of Abraham, and there's four seeds of Abraham. You got the natural seed, which is all physical descendants of Abraham, in other words, ethnic Jews, if you will. Amen. But then the Bible talks about natural spiritual seed, which is those descendants of Abraham who are believers, those Jews who got saved, as Paul talks about himself being one of those in Romans chapter 9. And, and, if, and Galatians 3 talks about this natural spiritual. But then the Bible also talks about the spiritual seed of Abraham, which are believing Gentiles, uh, you and I, people who uh, are able to participate in the blessings to Israel because of uh, we share in the identity with the Savior, Jesus Christ. And then, of course, the ultimate seed of Abraham is Jesus Christ himself, as Paul says in Galatians 3.16. And as you say, uh, you know, just as Israel wasn't perfect, yet the covenant was unconditional, like we read from Jeremiah, doesn't really matter. God is going to keep his word. The same thing is true of believers in Jesus Christ. Absolutely, a healthy believer should uh, walk by faith and not by sight, walk in obedience to the Spirit, live out a godly life and produce the fruit of the Spirit. But if we cater to the flesh, and like Israel did many times, uh, we're capable of, of, of not pleasing the Lord and not looking like believers, frankly. But I don't know about you, Tom, I'm thankful that my eternal destiny isn't contingent upon my ability to behave properly uh, as, as a believer. If it were, I'd be in big trouble, right? Uh, amen. You know, God's a promise keeper. Yes, He's a promise maker and a promise keeper, and we have to remember that. If God can't keep his promise to uh, his covenant that he made with Abraham, then how can we trust God to keep any covenant that he's made? In the case of the believer, the covenant that God has made with us and those who trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins through his son. And, you know, when you follow this all the way through, you know, JB, you and I, we both know, we fight night and day against 
replacement theology and, and all of this other teaching that's out there that says God is done with Israel. Well, and then they'll say, ignore the Old Testament. That was Old Testament theology. Jeremiah, which you read from, by the way, it's reiterated, everybody, in Jeremiah chapter 33, reiterated, it really is in Romans chapter 11 also. Uh, God is not done with Israel. He's not abandoned his people, Israel. So it's not just the Old Testament, it's the New Testament. Uh, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, uh, the, the angel says to the disciples, what are you standing here looking at Jesus going up into the clouds? As he went up, he's coming back to the Mount of Olives. Uh, Matthew chapter 23, which you quoted, the, the Jewish religious leaders, when Jesus says, you will say, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But he also says this, which I find interesting, J.B., Jesus said to them, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That totally parallels Romans chapter 11. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. It's not just an Old Testament promise. And then after Jesus came, uh, the Jews forsake Jesus, therefore covenants off. That's yeah. not it. It's reiterated in the New Testament. The entire book of Revelation is passages from the Old Testament put into one book so we can understand them, and it's about the redemption of the nation of Israel. Yeah. But too many people in the church, most people in the church, most pastors, I should say, want to ignore that and say it doesn't apply. No. The New Testament, Jesus was Jewish. The disciples were Jewish. The, the It's a Jewish book. The New Testament is as much as the Old Testament is. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's amazing how often people will take the prophecies in the Old Testament that pertain to Christ's first advent, such as the, he was born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. They take those literally, but for some reason, all of the passages that relate to a second advent, they allegorize them and sweep them away and spiritualize them, and they say they're not going to be fulfilled. But you're right. Uh, Romans 9 through 11 is a key passage. To me, it's the death knell of replacement theology, because the whole point of those three chapters is to answer the question, what about Israel? Has God forsaken them? Are they done? Uh, and Paul says emphatically, uh, may it never be. Absolutely not. God has a future for Israel. And as you said, he quotes uh, Jeremiah 33 there, the deliverer will in fact come out of Zion, uh, but not before. And this is where a lot of uh, people misunderstand chapter 10, right in the middle of that section. Uh, even guys that that agree on uh, you know dispensational theology and the future for national Israel, I don't think quite connect the dots as clearly as, as they could. But uh, Paul in chapter 10 is basically saying, look, before national Israel can be delivered into the land, they must first call on the name of the Lord. And he quotes Joel 2, which is a second coming passage, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's talking there about physical deliverance and national deliverance into the kingdom. I mean, of course, we know that nobody is gets eternal life simply by calling on the name of the Lord. Many unbelievers in their moment of death have cried out, oh my God, and they're not in heaven. You get saved by trusting in Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying there is uh, one day they're going to call on the name of the Lord, but how can they call on him unless they first believed in him? And how can they believe in him unless they first have a preacher, they've rejected the gospel, they've not believed our report. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I think it's a really fascinating passage in chapter 10 when under stood in its Jewish context of Paul is saying, look, I want all of Israel to be delivered into the kingdom, but they cannot do it until they first individually come to faith in Christ. And, and that's a good segue, by the way, to what's going on over in Israel today, because I think we have to 
make a distinction between God's love for the land of Israel and the people of Israel, which, as we've said, is unconditional, and yet the reality that not all Jewish people are believers today, uh, and we want to pray for them to come to faith. Uh, but we know someday we'll see a reversal. You know, at the first advent, there was a remnant that cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, but the masses just a few days later cried, crucify him, crucify him. The second time around, there will be still, amazingly, those Jews who reject Christ and accept the mark and accept the the the, the Antichrist. Uh, that's why Jesus repeatedly warns against that great end times deception. But the vast majority of uh, the Jewish people will, in fact, the second time around, understand who Jesus is. They will believe in him, accept him, and then as he comes back, uh, splitting the eastern sky, they will they will be regathered supernaturally, as all the Old Testament prophets talked about, uh, into uh, into the land. So uh, it really, I guess, what we're saying, uh, Tom, is it really shouldn't surprise us at all, should it, that Israel is in these great last days now uh, once again you know the center stage and uh, and there's these there are these battles going on uh, tell us kind of what you're hearing about the latest over there I watched a press conference right before we came on the air here uh, it's hard to know where America in its current leadership is going to come down uh, in its support of Israel I certainly hope we support Israel but uh, tell us uh, what's happening from your perspective over there so, I mean, JB, you said so many things. This could take me like four hours. Well, so listen, our folks, know. our folks love you, and they could listen to you. They hear me all, all right. the time, so they could listen to you all for right. days. So I'll try to keep my thoughts going in in, in the right direction in all this because there's so many different things in there. You said a lot. So first of all, I want to connect this. Romans chapter ten is really an answer to Romans chapter nine because Romans chapter nine is often misinterpreted. And people use that to see, see, they're not really Jews. Therefore, that's a total misinterpretation of Romans chapter 9. Romans 10 answers that, and Romans chapter 11 just completely seals up the, the conversation. Yep. God is not done with Israel. So great, great chapters. And, you know, I've read many commentaries on them from people who support replacement theology, and they will ignore pretty much all three of those chapters as mm -hmm. much as possible what they do address, they say, well, it really means this. So mm -hmm. it's just, you know, so thank you for bringing up Romans 10. All right. So I, I this I, I'm very concerned about America's involvement. Um, I want to get to certain things that are happening within the messianic movement in a second. But when I look at America, JB, I, like you, I believe there's a globalist agenda in so many different things. If you if we go back to pre- um, that when we were in Oklahoma, that Friday night, it was late that Friday night, we wake up Saturday morning, everything went from beyond the normal rockets that were shot into the horrific things that were happening. Um, so you and I were both in Oklahoma at that time. So we got to go back a little over two weeks. And if you go back just prior to that Friday, the Obama administration, Yuval Noah Harari, World Economic Forum, Everybody pretty much was constantly against Israel. So why did, I mean, Obama or Obama or Biden administration, whatever it is, whichever <laughs> not, not one. To, not to be redundant, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whichever one. Um, listen, they've been against Israel pretty much since their beginning. And to suddenly flip and be in favor of Israel 
has caused me to be extremely suspicious of what is really going on. Then Caroline Glick did a video that was posted last week, and I think it was very insightful, and I think it was very factual. There, you know, David Tal said there's some things that he didn't necessarily agree with what she said, but uh, but I think the the uh, really with the Biden administration, uh, really Anthony Blinken and his friends, it's uh, they're not in support of Israel at all. Um, and, and when you real, and this is the thing that's always concerned me with Israel, what they're really doing is saying, Hey, let's supply humanitarian aid to the Palestinians. Listen, the Biden administration knows all that's going to Hamas. Hamas runs Gaza. Their health minister is the head as one of the heads of Hamas, uh, all the way across the board. They run everything in Gaza. Gaza, quite frankly, is a hellhole for the Palestinian people. Yeah, I, I was on, in May, I was in Stroat. I was caught and I have video of it. I was ordering falafels in Stroat, looked straight up and the rockets and Iron Dome started hitting. You know, I got better video footage than CNN or Fox News has of that. So I, I've been there. I, I know what it is. And it, but when we see that, I believe Israel is being manipulated by the U.S., Granted, there's bad players at the top of Israel. I get that. There's bad players in everything. Um, but this is what I see as Israel's problem. It's been their Achilles heel since their beginning. Since Solomon's been gone, they have always turned to their neighbors for help, and they have not turned to the Lord. And since then, I mean, you can go back to after Solomon's gone, you have Jeroboam and Rehoboam. You look right on through their history. This is what their leaders have done, the political leaders, the religious leaders, right on down the list. You walk through Israel's biblical history, their secular history, time after time after time after time, they've done this, except for the time when you have uh, the Maccabean revolt with uh, at that time. But overall, that's what they've done. Uh, yeah. They during the time of the Babylonians, they they looked to uh, Egypt. During the Assyrians, they looked elsewhere. So you have that, and you have it continually um, in Israel's history right now. They've looked to the United States. They've looked to this nation. They've looked to that nation. Three weeks ago, they're looking to Saudi Arabia. So uh, it's a huge problem, and I believe what's happening right now is part of the process. That we read about in the book of in the entire Bible, not just the book of Revelation, say the entire Bible. To get Israel through that place, God is moving them to the end. When they cry out, as you said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God is moving them to that place through their pain, through their persecution, through their suffering, to finally turn up and say, and look to the heavens and cry out for Yeshua HaMashiach. And uh, but currently, as long as Israel is turning to the United States for help, there or anybody else, they're not turning to the Lord. They're going to be in trouble. And we also know, uh, JB, I'm convinced this will lead. Their current suffering is going to lead to. Um, they're going to turn to make a deal and enter into a covenant with the Antichrist. Yeah, yeah. But I praise God for the salvation that's going to come to Israel because it will come, and that's what I'm hopeful for. Amen. No, I mean, uh, you know, you're you're spot on there, recognizing kind of the nuance there between the fact that you know Israel needs support. God loves Israel. Israel is God's chosen nation. He has a future for them. Clearly, in in at the you know two dimensional level right now, 
obviously Israel is the good guys, Hamas is the bad guys. That's a no-brainer. But at the same time, I think it's it's uh, it's kind of insightful to recognize that you know there are biblical prophecies at play here that we know Israel is is going to get worse before it gets better. They're going to rebel. They're going to, um, you know, leading up to their Messiah, there's going to be a lot a lot more that, that has to happen. But that doesn't mean that right now they're not the victims and we need to help them, right? It's kind of like, you know, if one of my kids, you know, if I say to him now, son, don't, uh, if I say to my son, let's say, for example, don't, I don't want you to ride your bike down that hill because it's just too steep and you're going to get hurt and don't do it. Well, if he ignores and rebels, does exactly what I say he doesn't do. And he rides his bike down and let's say he he smashes into a pine tree and he breaks his leg. And let's say it's a compound fracture. I mean, it's a nasty break. And and so my, my other kids come running, dad, you know, he's hurt. And I come down there. I'm not going to say at that moment, you know, I told you not to do that. You, you didn't listen. You shouldn't have done it. I'm going to give him the help that he needs. The time to understand the bigger picture here is later. And so, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, when I try to point out the fact that there's a lot of rogue elements of leadership in the United States and in Israel and in other nations that are kind of working at the behest of the, the globalists to try to usher in a one world system. If I say anything remotely critical about America, I'm, I'm anti-American or or rogue leaders in Israel, I'm anti-Israel. And I, I just feel like, you know, we, we need to be able to nuance that and understand that you know we love Israel, we support Israel, but there's there's some you know curious things happening. So, uh, do you believe like others, like for example, our friend uh, mutual friend Bill Salas, that this could be the beginning of a more global conflagration that brings Russia and maybe even some Southeast Asia players into the mix? Um, to, to an extent, I had Bill on the other day. We got in Psalm 83 in Isaiah 17. And I, and I want to comment on that in a second, in just a second. But I want to comment also on something that you said with the suffering of the people over there. And we can't, folks, we just can't forget that. And I totally agree, JB, that, listen, down the road, we'll be able to sort out some of the things. You know, we're, we're probably not going to know everything this side of heaven about this. But... The reality of it is, you know, I'm watching this video this morning. It was horrible. So this family in Israel, the, the mom had one breast cut off. Mm. The dad had uh, one eye gouged out. Uh, their, one of their daughters had her fingers cut off on one hand. Their other daughter had her foot cut off. This is, this is unbelievable barbaric. And, you know, when you, when you see the things like, well, it's partly Israel's fault. This is like the people who blames the rape victim for being raped, it, but even worse, because mm. we're watching it, we're seeing it in real time play out. And look, we'll sort through this other stuff. In the meantime, let's recognize where God's, God has chosen Israel. Yeah. And, and even in the church, people hate that idea. Uh, listen, God chose them for the land. He chose them for the Messiah to come through Israel. This is a Jewish book, and we need to get over all these other things as we work through the process and recognize this will be sorted out as much as we possibly can this side of eternity. Yeah. God knows all the facts, and we'll be able to sort through some things. And before, I also was asked this question last night on my program, JB. Somebody had, had asked, uh, it was, you know, they come in the chat in the live, 
and they asked me, do I believe uh, the globalist agenda in this? And I said, this is what I absolutely believe. The globalists will use this to bring about their empire that they want. They're going to bring it about to bring about uh, their their digital ID. They're tracking everybody. They're going to say this never would have happened if everybody was in the system. We'll be able to monitor all lawlessness and all of that. We'll be able to control the situation in Israel, and it's gonna it's going to lead to the ushering in of Antichrist. I have absolutely no doubt about uh, about all of that. So, uh, I, yeah. but we can't forget the horrific suffering that's taking place. And what Hamas is also doing to the Palestinian people, you know, that's yeah, bad. No. And before you, about that. before you, absolutely, before you get to your thoughts on uh, what you were going to mention there about Bill Salas and Psalm 83 and Isaiah 17, you know, I would, I would say that, um, you know, the, the reality here is there's a difference between collateral damage and collateral murder. And what these yeah, horrific, great, what, you know, what, what these horrific terrorists are doing is, in, in, by definition, intended to strike fear. And uh, you know, now I I might take a little bit of a stronger stance on how much of this is in fact being uh, coerced and fomented by the Luciferian elite, based on my twenty year studies of that. I think I don't think it was necessarily organic uh but that kind of is a moot point like like you said we'll sort that out later at this point these hamas terrorists absolutely hate israel they hate god they hate christians they hate anybody that supports israel and they see this as their time to 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 really foment a global uh outcry and you know what we're seeing it's only been 2 weeks but already and this was predictable what we're seeing is a rise in Jewish hatred, you know, people are just uh, mainstream media, progressives, liberals, and even you know, even just people that aren't necessarily you know pundits, just your average Joe on the street is buying into this narrative that somehow Israel is you know partially to blame, which could not be further from the truth. They are uh, they are the victims here, and they need uh, they need our support now. You know, is it possible that rogue elements within Israel might, uh, you know, be working at the behest of someone else pulling the strings? Sure, that that's possible. But by and large, the people, you know, in Israel are simply trying to defend themselves. They're going to great lengths to try to avoid any civilian casualties. We all know war is is hell. And, and innocent people die sometimes, and but I believe Israel at the uh, macro level is doing all they can to avoid that. It's just the opposite for these, you know, barbarians. They're they're intentionally targeting the innocent, and uh, you know. Uh, so so anyway, yeah. For what that's worth, I, I think. Um, but I think this is they're, they're purposely the powers that be are purposely fomenting this us versus them mentality. And in fact, I talked to someone just yesterday. And I, I I really had to contain, refrain myself from becoming emotional when they said what they said. It was in person, actually. Uh, but I, by God's grace, I was able to be calm and just kind of gently correct them and rebuke them. But they basically said, and I'm paraphrasing here, that uh, you know, I, you know, there's there's enough blame to go around, and I'm kind of walking the middle ground. I'm not necessarily supporting Israel in this war, and I'm not necessarily supporting Gaza or supporting the Hamas. And I just I took a breath and I said, "You need to understand the battle lines are clear. There's there's a good side and there's a bad side, and you need to side with Israel. They are the good guys. Uh, are there innocent?" 
people dying on both sides, sure. I, I mean, nobody wants innocent Palestinian uh, children to die. That Nobody's saying that all Palestinians are evil and you should just wipe them from the face of the earth. But I'll tell you what, I'm not afraid to say we ought to wipe all Hamas terrorists from the face of the earth. Uh, so anyway, there's that sentiment that's that's creeping up out there. And I think we need to to be aware of it and be and respond to it and uh and and make that distinction yeah you know now i got a whole bunch of other things to say even <laughs> before we get to the bill salads things so i, I want to say this you know when when um i mean like I said many things um are there bad elements in israeli government absolutely i mean we look at the whole judicial reform we can see all kinds of things being exposed about it was probably about three months now about 12 weeks ago I was invited to this Israeli meeting with some leaders. It was in Los Angeles area. And uh, several people were there from the press. And they wanted to meet with me. And they said, can you help us combat what is happening with the media in Israel? And mainly, you know, Haaretz is totally left-leaning amongst others. And they said, we are being infiltrated by the media in the United States and manipulated and we're really having a hard time getting the truth out there at all. Can you help? I said, I will do anything I can. And then, you know, um, you know, I haven't actually spoken with them since. A lot of things have changed, but I'll get back with them. But that's the reality of it. So all this, a lot of these things are actually coming up out of some very bad elements in Israel. Uh, uh, a couple other things I want to point out is one of them is that most of the targets that were hit in Israel were very soft. Um, the uh, kibbutzim, which we'd say in English, probably kibbutzes, plural, um, they were, for the most part, not all, not everybody, but they were very uh, pro-Palestinian in the sense of uh, they were willing to lay down their arms and let's just do a group hug with everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that there were thousands upon thousands of Palestinians that were let into Israel every day to work. Uh, they have work visas. Uh, it was estimated last week 4,000 of them were going into homes, going back to Hamas and saying, hey, this is how many bedrooms they have in this house. This is how many kids. This, this is the dogs and so forth. Uh, we know that the, the concert where the big shootout was, uh, was a gun-free zone. You know, these are reminders why we need to keep the Second Amendment here in America. But you had what they targeted were very soft targets, people who lay down their weapons, don't want they just want to give, do a group hug with everybody. So that's one thing that we need to keep in mind when we look and go, why didn't they why didn't they shoot back? Some people did. And Israel also has some interesting gun laws, which I think they're realizing their mistake now. Um but on the, the the whole thing with, I, I look at this. So I had Monkey on last week, Monkey Works, and he said that he has documents where it was this whole plan of attack was two years in the making, two years. So it wasn't an organic, it wasn't anything organic about it. I've never believed it from the beginning. Way too coordinated, way too coordinated, way too much money behind it. Iran is clearly involved in this. We know about the money from the Biden administration. But JP, if we go back, you and I go back in our minds with, the, with your listeners 10 years or however long ago it was, when, I can't remember exactly when, but it's a long time ago, when Netanyahu came to Congress when Obama was president, 
And he spoke to Congress. Remember how angry Obama was when Netanyahu did that? Um, uh, Obama was absolutely livid when Netanyahu came and addressed the Congress. I felt since that day that Obama always had a revenge. He's going to pay back Netanyahu. Now, I get this as total speculation. There's no way I can prove it. Throwing it out there on the airwaves is probably really going to get some people very angry at me. But, I mean, I look and go, who is really behind this? When you start looking at it, it was clearly planned. Is it the U.S. that was behind it? Is it, as you mentioned, the Luciferians? Somebody, somebody planned this. Yeah. Hamas is... It, it, Hamas does not didn't have the ability in and of themselves to put in two years of planning with all the money. Somebody is behind it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and and I I, I want to reiterate that. Obviously, this is total speculation. We're not you know privy to any inside information. But you know, I got I've gotten some pushback uh, over the last week too for for the similar type of speculation. But mine is not. You know, we're not speculating here blindly. I mean, I've got a 20-year track record of, of studying these people and, and how things really work behind the scenes and what's really happening. And so uh, when I speculated early on that, and I still stand by this, and as do many other pundits, that it just seems to me beyond credulity that especially knowing it was two years in the works, that for two years... Uh, the IDF had not a clue. They didn't have a clue with their incredible surveillance and listening devices and tracking all the phones. And I mean, one of the top uh, intelligence groups in the world, if not the top, second maybe only to the United States. It just doesn't make sense that they that there was not some type of a satanic rogue element that somehow helped pull this off. But again, that's speculative and it's somewhat uh, irrelevant except for understanding the big picture uh, prophetically and understanding that you know this is uh you know this multi-level we have to think three-dimensionally or four-dimensionally you can't just think two-dimensionally there is a real battle going on with real good guys and real bad guys we know who we should support we want to you know help those that are suffering and we want to defend them but i think it's it's never about what it's about and and regardless of if we ever know this side of glory how it all came about it's it's helpful to understand that there's a lot of misinformation and a lot of disinformation uh, uh out there so uh so yeah well we uh let's get back to kind of where you were headed a minute ago with some of the biblical aspects of this uh obviously we we love to play uh, to to do what Jesus told told us to do which is watch for the signs of the times to me this is a biggie uh, there are a lot of moving parts to it a lot of things happening in different sectors but uh how are how are you seeing this potentially fitting into God's prophetic plan Thank you. Great question. So um, in Ezekiel chapter 38, uh, twice uh, the Bible talks about the people of Israel being back in the land, living in safety or living safely. Twice it says that in Ezekiel chapter 38. And you can look at that Hebrew word and say, okay, that applies to being secure by something like the IDF. Obviously, their security was exploited this time for whatever reasons, right? But there's one key thing, and I pointed it out to Bill, which really kind of uh, it, it helps substantiate Bill's premise of Psalm 83. In Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 11, out of New King James Bible, uh, God says to Gog, the leader of the invasion, 
of Israel from Russia. I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and neither having bars nor gates. So the word peaceful in New King James is translated as rest uh, in King James. It comes from a Hebrew word is shakat, and it literally means tranquil, a people that are living in tranquility. And this is what I pointed out to Bill. And I said, the problem is Israel has never, never lived in that place since the time of Solomon. That was the last time they lived there. 1948, obviously modern Israel, not a chance Israel has lived in a tranquil place. So my premise to Bill was something has to happen, whether it's Bill's theory of Psalm 83, Isaiah chapter 17, or uh, the destruction of Damascus, or does Israel enter into some kind of peace agreement where they let their guard down? Uh, and they're they're guaranteed that this type of scourge won't come upon you, Isaiah chapter 28, which I also interpret as the covenant that parallels Isaiah uh, Daniel chapter 9, where God says, uh, when, Israel, when Jerusalem is led by scornful men, um, they enter into this covenant with shul. Uh, they know it's a lie. They know it's deceit, but it's to avoid a scourge that comes against them. Brandon Holthouse pointed out before this whole episode broke out that a, the scourge there, speaking of a war that is extremely destructive, as you continue reading through Isaiah 28, God says, I'll annul that covenant. You will not avoid the scourge. The terror that comes will be so horrific, you won't even be able to, you'll, 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 you'll reel at just giving the report hearing the reports about what's happening. As we look at the last two weeks, that's how we feel. We think this is horrific, mm. cutting off babies' heads and every the horror of it. We don't even want to hear about it. Is this going to be something that's going to cause Israel to enter into an agreement to avoid another scourge coming against them that will be false, but one way or another, whether Bill's right, it's Psalm 83, or a type of peace agreement, uh, uh, Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 11, to bring them to a place of tranquility, whether it's now or a year or two down the line, eventually uh, they're gonna, Israel's going to have to fulfill this, getting to a place of tranquility. And if Israel doesn't deal with the Hamas problem they have now, not just Hamas, the Iran problem, Hezbollah, everything, they're going to have to deal with it again another day. It will come back on them. So I look at that and think, if this is going somewhere. I believe it's a major setup for the leaders of Israel to be willing to, to do anything to have peace if they don't go the approach of Psalm 83, Isaiah 17, and annihilate Damascus at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard in the in the fog right now to – uh, to be definitive, you know, and I, I love, that's why I love Bible prophecies. We can, you know, have dialogues and open our Bibles on our laps and just, you know, begin to try to make sense of it. But I just can't escape the feeling that though we may not know the details, this is the beginning of really setting the stage uh, for the final phase, you know, before the Lord's return. Um, I just, the, the emotions are too high. I mean, even the significance of this horrific attack if you put it in perspective, and I, I think I'm sure you've uh, talked about this before too, but 
I mean, it's 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 unbelievable how significant this is in the history of modern Israel, right? I mean, nothing even comes close. Um, you know, if you compare it like to 9-11, we lost, what, 3,000 people on 9-11, uh, give or take. Uh, this would be equivalent, I think, if I remember the math right, you know, in terms of the population, to something like thirty to 40,000. Right. Yeah. So that when you start thinking in those numbers, you think, wow, I mean, this is big. And so you just almost get the sense that this isn't going to simmer down. Uh, you know, uh, something bigger is going to come. And then, of course, on the other side, our enemies are are ratcheting up. I, everybody knows now that Iran was behind all of this, or at least instrumentally involved in all of it. Uh, you've got uh, the Hezbollah, you've got Islamic Jihad, you've got Muslim Brotherhood, you've got all these different groups that are taking advantage of this. And the mainstream media in the West is not really reporting on it much, but there have been quite a few uprisings around the world, uh, you know, uh, the, the as has been predicted. Fortunately, we haven't seen much of that on our in our own country um, yet. But I just I can't escape the notion that things are going to get worse. Uh, we don't know why uh, this. Uh, you know, in, invasion, uh, military response was delayed. I know part of it was the weather over there that delayed it. Uh, part of it maybe has to do with this humanitarian aid, but you just have to believe uh, that Israel at some point is going to do a ground invasion. And then, you know, that's going to be, that's just going to make the enemy even more angry. So I don't know. I mean, Obviously, we understand God's in control. Um, we we, uh, we 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 get have to kind of wait and see. But there are any number of prophetic scenarios that could kind of go in one direction uh, or another. But you know, I don't want to be too sensationalist either. It, who knows that God is the ultimate arbiter of the timetable? It could very well be that this is eventually simmers down and we get back to some sense of of normalcy, whatever that word means these days. Uh, and then we see another prolonged uh, period. But uh, it is certainly a, a tough time, you know, going back to that uh, Vance Havner quote, these are, this is the nasty now and now. So, um, but yeah, so folks, so how can folks uh, kind of get in touch with you? Hope for our times, obviously, uh, is, that's the website. Yep. Hopeforourtimes.com. Uh, people can find uh, whatever, whatever I have, they can find there. I also have yeah. an app by the same name. Hope for our times, and uh, that's the easiest way to uh, to follow uh, what we have. Yeah, and you have, of course, your new book. Uh, how's that doing? I hear it's doing fantastic. I hear it is. You know what? You, you a publisher has it, and you, <laughs> you hope it is. You know, and and uh, you you know you just move forward. And um, it's it's just fascinating to me, JB, with Bible prophecy. If we don't get too caught up in the sensationalism, what we know is where it has to end. And there's certain end things like Ezekiel 38 has to end up here. This has to end up here. This has to end up here. So we know that we don't know all the how to's in, in but we can, the, the thing is that has happened over the last few years, we can see, oh, wow, this has to end up here and we can see the Klaus Schwab's, you know, we yes. can see this and we can see that. So it helps us to be able to go, this makes sense to get to there. It doesn't mean it's going to happen exactly like that. But with the Bible, we know it has to get to this point, this point, this point, and this point, and ultimately to Jesus coming back. So that's really what I, what I uh, attempted Amen. to do in the book. Amen. Marking the ma uh, masses, right? 
Yes, marking yeah. the masses. Yeah, yeah. What a great book! I, I wish I could reach it. It's just beyond my reach. But we're not on video anyway. I mean, you and I are at the moment, but this is just going to be an audio podcast. But folks definitely need to get that. There's uh, some overlap in terms of the, our interests over the last year. As you were writing that book, I was working on Spirit of the False Prophet: Rise of the Global Technocracy, which also deals with the way uh, the Antichrist and False Prophet are going to use technology to usher in this control grid using the the mark of the beast. So, um, so Tom. It really is an honor. I know you're probably one of the busiest guys on the planet, and uh, it means the world to me that you would take the time to to come back on. Uh, if you're willing, we'd love to have you back on again just to kind of talk about various uh, uh, current events and, and and biblical things. What I love about uh, you as you know as a as a pastor and a, a Bible teacher is that you always bring it back to Scripture, and that's what we like to do here at. Uh, at not by work. So I want to close out by uh, reminding folks that, of course, priority number one is your own spiritual relationship with the Lord. If you, uh, if all of these world events have unsettled you and caused you to think about your own mortality and caused you to think about the future, let me encourage you to just make sure there's been a time in your life when you acknowledged your sin and recognized that only Jesus Christ, who died and rose again to pay your personal penalty for sin, can save you. And uh, the only way to have eternal life is by trusting in Him and Him alone. So make sure you've done that. And for those of you that are already believers, uh, now more than ever, we need to walk by faith and not by sight and continue trusting Him, continue sticking in uh, the Scriptures, you know, always validate everything you hear from me, and I'm sure Tom would agree from him and anyone else by going to the Scriptures. You know, we're not uh, infallible uh, by any means, uh, and uh, we do our best to tie what we believe and connect the dots biblically, uh, but these are definitely uh, trying times. Uh, so thanks again, Tom, for for being with us, and uh, really appreciate what you guys are doing over there at Hope for Our Times. You bet. Thank you, JB. It's always great. Always great talking with you. Thank you for having me on. You bet. So before we close out, just a reminder that uh, we've got our premier membership Zoom meeting, a live Q&A tomorrow night, Tuesday, October 24th at 7 Central. So it's not too late to sign up for our premier uh, membership. We're constantly posting new uh, resources there and for that are just for exclusively for our premier members. One of the things that Brooke just posted yesterday was uh, the conference slides in PDF from some of my recent conferences, including the one that I was privileged to do with uh, uh, Tom there in Rockwall. So a lot of times at conferences, you know, when, when Tom and I and people are speaking, you'll see people in the audience taking pictures of the screen. Well, we're now going to start providing for our premier membership, uh, you know, PDFs of all of the slides of the places uh, that I speak. So you can go in and download them. And if you want to take a closer look, you, you can do that. So that's already available, uh, at least some of the most recent ones uh, for premier members. But if you'd like to join us tomorrow at the Zoom meeting, uh, go ahead and check check out our premier membership at the Not By Works online store. And always, uh, while you're on the store, check out our free section. This is just for anyone, the general public. We uh, post all kinds of free materials in there. And just yesterday, after my message at Plum Creek, we posted a couple of articles that I've written on the doctrine of separation and uh, how to live uh, exclusively in an inclusive world. So those are there for anybody, not just for premier members. Uh, that's at the Not By Works website. Well, God bless you, everyone. Uh, have a great rest of the week. Don't forget, lots of great guests coming on uh, throughout the rest of the week. If we can ever help you, feel free to reach out at notbyworks.org. God bless.